Welcome to episode 34 of the Average Gamers podcast. On this episode, Lee, Jay and Adam talk through some of the stuff they've been up to in recent weeks, and then we take a bit of a dive into the wonderful Everdell. On with the show. Well, hello there, listeners. Um, we're back again, the old Average Gamers. Uh, we've, we've added an extra voice to this episode in the form of Jay. Uh, so, well, say hello, Jay. Hello, Jay. And obviously with me, as always, is Adam. Hey, Lee. Hey, Jay. How you doing? Yes, and of course, I'm Lee. Um, so welcome along. So uh, this episode is going to mainly focus on a game we played just recently called Everdale. But before we get into that, you know, let's should we have a quick catch up. We've not spoken to Jay in a couple of episodes now. So how have you been, Jables? Yeah, good. You know, despite the, the current climate and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, winter's coming. Um, summer's gone. Spoken like a true northerner. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been pretty good. Not lost my sort of my painting mojo recently but that's another element altogether but uh yeah been good um everyone's healthy everyone's fine that's the main thing and yeah i've got a few games in excellent that's always the best part that's yeah. always the best part what, what have you been playing just a, a brief yeah come on jay tell us tell us what you've been playing well obviously i played everdell um <laughs> which was a uh, quite a lot of fun a bit, a bit of deep madness i've been playing as well managed to put, pick that up and had a couple of games of Star Wars Legion with Lee. I'll say a couple of games. There was one game and one just a GBH level of a assault. Um, I basically watched you pack away your models yeah. over the course oh, of wow. an evening. Lee, that's yeah, not yeah. like you. No, <laughs> no it's, it's shocker, very much it? like my dice, though. Oh, I would just blame Lee's <laughs> dice. And anything Star Wars related, Lee just rolls really, really hot dice. Almost like he has got the force. Yeah, <laughs> never thought of it that way. But yeah, yeah, yeah that, we had a game of X-wing, didn't we, recently, Adam? Which was ridiculous in terms I just of dice. I felt roll really bad. A single defense dice. It, that that was the problem. <laughs> like you'd be throwing dice <laughs> at me, getting three hits, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, look, I'm you know agility three through an asteroid, long range, five dice, not a single evade." And you're like, "Oh, oh. yeah." <laughs> I had something similar with James. The, the most violent game of X-Wing I've ever played. We couldn't roll a green dice to save our life, but we're rolling constant crits. So it was over pretty quick. And it was, I was like, the game isn't, he's new to the game. I'm like, that's not usually that violent, mate. I uh, apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was on both ends. I didn't actually win. But um, yeah, he was like, wow, everything dies really quick. I was like, no, 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 it really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not normally. So how does, um, did you enjoy Legion? Like, because you've, you've only played a few handful of games, right? You're not like yeah, Legion so you, you, veterans, you, as it were. You, you've, you've played me every game ever. And you know how <laughs> absolutely belligerent I am when I come to stress testing a new army. And it turns out the Separatist battle droids are just, don't, they don't do well at stress testing. Um, they're absolutely useless. You see now they're built. They're like fragile as anything, aren't they? Yeah, smaller targets though, isn't it? But um, nah. <laughs> uh, so it was one of those things. I got absolutely hammered on the first game. Dice didn't really help, but a lot of it was decisions I made and um, probably preconceptions from other games that are sort of platoon level 28 mil battle games. Um, yeah, FFG are really good at making you the master of your own destiny, so to speak. If you don't want to use an action to take an aim token, increasing your odds of shooting, and you've got guys who are bad at shooting. It's kind of on you that they didn't shoot well. So in a nutshell, like if you were, if you're going to kind of like pick out kind of the, the thing that you'd most like about the game and the thing that you least like about the game for kind of the listeners, what would those be? So the, the things I like are, so whenever I play a game with guns, like sort of between level World War II, modern, I absolutely love suppressive fire. If you can suppress someone, it's a bit more realistic. They don't just walk into walls of bullets going, oh, well, this is fine. <laughs> uh, so it's got a suppression fire mechanic which I really enjoyed it's less relevant for the droids because obviously they don't really care um, also leaders lead so rather than having just a commander who gives you a little aura that they leaders dish out orders within a certain radius of themselves uh, so they're more than just more powerful characters so I think uh, the equivalent was I was using General Grievous who's a bit selfish with his orders but the orders he gives himself he's quite powerful Whereas Lee was using Captain Rex, who 
is a force multiplier for the clones. He genuinely leads them. He dishes more tokens out to them, gives them better odds on already like outstanding troops. He makes them even better. Uh, and the third mechanic I really like is cover. It covers so important in the game. So just like any sort of real, you could put those mechanics into a World War II game. Chain of commands for your leaders, suppressive fire, don't get caught in the open. That is modern combat in a nutshell, really. And they've done a good job of pasting it across. I've had to pick out something I didn't like. Uh, it's Captain Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Broken rules. The shade. Yeah, the, the shade. shade. Now, nah, rules-wise, um, uh, the only thing I'd pick out, really, is the normal fantasy flight shtick is there's a lot of admin a lot of cards, a lot of tokens, and, and certain cards will change the way a squad functions quite drastically. And unless you know all the ins and outs, really, you may disadvantage yourself. But it's all part of a learning curve. Like I say, we've had three games. I imagine by game five, I will know all my ins and outs of my army. And what I think that's fair. To take. Hmm. But it, it's, it's a minor gripe. Um... So three things that I like. Uh, I like the kind of, yeah, the, the orders and fog of war type mechanic. So the way Legion plays is you have your commander and they have a hand of command cards in each turn. At the start of the turn, you say, okay, my commander's going to issue this order. And it'll tell him that he can give an order token to X number of units and probably himself or herself. Um, but if you don't, the rest of the, the, the units that you don't give orders to, they're... Each, each unit has its own order token. They go into a stack, and then you can either activate a unit each time you activate one. You can choose one of the ones that you issued an order to, or you can pull from the stack. So it kind of represents the fog of war. Like, you know, it's all chaotic, and people might not do the right thing at the right time unless you specifically give them the order to do it so you can activate them when you want. So that's one of my big things. The other one is uh, the fact that it is alternating activations rather than... I go, you go. So I'm Ooh, not good sat shape. there. If if I'm not going first, it's not a huge disadvantage. I might maybe, you know, take a few casualties, but I'm not going to lose what feels like half my army, you know, before I even get a turn, which is always rubbish because, you know, the guy going second plays at a massive disadvantage. Oh, great. Good game. You know, I, I, so I'm glad of that. Uh, the other one I like, ooh, I think Jay's kind of covered, I think, well, covered cover. Uh, that that feels like you say quite important. Like if something is entrenched in cover, it's usually pretty solid. You've got to put a lot of firepower in there or get critical hits to bypass the cover and things like that. I think I really like that. In terms of what I don't like, um, I think it's possibly the variety of units in that Star Wars as a whole obviously is limited. I mean, Fantasy Flight and now Atomic Mass Games their production scale is limited to say a games workshop so they can't you know they can only put out what exists in the canon and you know there's only four factions in the game there's soon to be a fifth mercenary faction which will change things up a bit but for the most part it's like i think a lot of people said it's like okay well i can be i can be humans with a sprinkling of aliens i can be pure humans uh or i can be clone humans or I can be droids and it, it does kind of limit the kind of uh, choice that you've got. I mean, to be fair though, there's quite a lot of variety within the factions, so you can make quite different armies, but the game's still really in its infancy. So it doesn't have the variety of, of other war games. I'd say that'd be the only downside to it at the moment. Soon to change though, from all the announcements that came out, like there will be Ewoks soon. Oh, you no. can have an Ewok army, which is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe a whole Ewok army. Oh. I, well, I don't know if it's a whole... They, they said Ewoks are coming okay, in 2023, but whether that means a whole army or whether it just means a unit, I don't know. I just want... Uh, I'd take an army of Mon Calamari if I could, just because every time someone shoots me, I'd be like, it's a trap! <laughs> it's a trap! <laughs> the, the default. Or they build specifically only- into that theme so you can like just lay traps everywhere. I think it'd be brilliant. <laughs> there is only one Mon Cal model in the whole army. Um, at the mo- in the whole range at the moment, but he's modelled on the uh, Moncal from Imperial Assault, so he's he's Loku, oh, right. which okay. is quite cool. So, nice. But he's in a different pose. But he is like yeah, the Rebel Strike Team sniper is him, and then you've got the generic Rebel Commander. You can buy is is Gideon from Imperial Assault, which I quite liked. They've sort of incorporated some of their stuff into it. Very which looks cool. quite cool. He's a ledge. 
he's the man fantastic so w- w- what else have we been playing i guess um yeah, Lee, we said we, we played a game of X-Wing, but since we talked so much Star Wars already, we'll leave that for another episode. Um, yeah, we'll save I, it for another one. Do you know, I've, I've spent a lot of the last months sleeving cards um, for my Arkham uh-huh. Horror set. Oh, the amount of sleeving that you need to do to kind of like protect your cards if you want to do that is, uh, yeah. It, I, I find it quite therapeutic though. I'm yeah, just sitting there I and agree. just be like, look at card in, look at card in. It's like production line, isn't it? <laughs> It's quite guys. It, yeah, you're right. It's it's very therapeutic. Yeah. I, you're uh, co- coming from the guy who sharpies tokens. Shush. <laughs> we um we played. Speaking of sharpie tokens, actually, we played uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg. Me and the uh, non-gamers after we did our Star Wars RPG session. I then cracked out Quacks, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a good um, game. I was. It's a great game. I I was every time, and I've said this before. It is a hard sell because it is a twee theme right you know it's very what's twee you know a bit kitsch a bit you know cutesy and a bit too oh, right. it, it, you know what i mean it doesn't sound like it doesn't sort of evoke the kind of oh yeah that sounds that sounds really cool or whatever it's just yeah. like oh you play an alchemist it's like, oh great you know you're bored it's I, I, like kind of like that. I really i really like that i don't know okay it's well, a different yeah, I mean, style it, of theme it, it, yeah it's not my it's it's not my kind of thing but trying to sell it to the guys it was a bit like they they were sort of hesitant and it was exactly the same as when i introduced it to you guys everyone was a bit like mm, okay and then you play it and you're like oh this game is actually very very good it's yeah. uh, everyone had a whale of a time like you know the, the whole kind of anticipation you know we it came to a point where we were all like you know tapping on the table and doing that sort of ooh build up as like somebody's about to draw from the bag and stuff you know it got to that kind of level of yeah, I know. remember drawing four tokens and three of them were the ones that make your bloody thing explode, your cauldron explode. <laughs> and everyone was laughing it, at it me is and that. we had a great time. It is that push your luck and I, I think everyone yeah. enjoys seeing someone just push their luck a bit too far um, yeah. and get either rewarded for it and you're like, oh, another decent token. Or you're like, yay, <laughs> your patient. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's a very good game. Very good game. Um and it looks even better once you've sleeved and cased your tokens. There's something to be said for casing those tokens. The clacking noise from those bags is so much nicer than rummaging around cardboard, which will eventually get scratched and worn away, at least with a plastic token. I can just replace the case. Yeah, I agree. I've done the same with Arkham. And of course, the uh, final thing we need to talk about is that uh, Adam and I recently appeared on the Infinite Escape Room. We had a great time. It was a a lot of fun and we we hope to uh, potentially appear on it again in the future. Um, If you want to check out the Infinite Escape Room, you can head on over to www.theinfiniteescaperoom.com. That's all one word. So with all that catching up out of the way, let's let's move on to uh, the main meat of the show, shall we? Yes. Certainly can, certainly can. So, Everdale then, Adam. This is a game from your collection that the four of us got together Friday just gone to play. Um, Obviously, the four of us being us three on the recording and Darren, who unfortunately couldn't make it to this recording session. But, uh, you know... His loss. <laughs> well, so yeah, give, give us a quick overview of Everdale. Who's it by and what kind of game is it? Yeah, great. So Everdale is um, is a game developed by publisher Starling Games um, by game designer James A. Wilson. Um, the background to the game is you use resources to build a village of critters and constructions in this kind of like... I'd say twee woodland game, but it's it, it's got some pretty phenomenal artwork. Um, so you play as kind of like competing factions, really within within this kind of um, within the Valley of Everdale, and you're trying to build the best kind of I, I guess city, but kind of it's more like a small town commune of critters. Um, each of your characters plays as a different kind of uh, faction, so you might play as a different woodland creature. I think we had cardinals and. Uh, hedgehogs, uh, little rabbits and turtles as they forage around, collect resources, be it like logs or resin or 
everything forest related, like berries and stone to build these kind of constructions and bring other critters into your kind of little town, or should I say tableau? Because the game is very much a, a card drafting kind of hand management game where you're building this tableau of critters and constructions that score you end game points. And that's what you're ultimately aiming for is kind of a, a big end game score through a variety of points on cards, points on events, points on doing the best thing first um, kind of game. So there's lots of ways to score in the game. It's trying to just figure out where you put the resources and, and, and how you play against what other people are doing as well. Because what you end up finding within Everdell is that there's such a diverse range of cards um, that the things that you're after, there might only be two or three in the deck. So if you really want them, if you really want those critters or constructions in your in your tableau, in your town that you're constructing, you really need to go after them. So that's kind of a background to Everdell, but like, let's just jump in and talk about how how you how you both found it. So who wants to go Should first? We, just before that, though, can we just mention that there is a little bit of worker placement in there as well, for those Ooh. of you that enjoy worker placement? Yes, indeed. I forgot about that one. It probably Sorry. would have come up later. Um, but yeah, over over the course of the game, you obviously accrue these different workers and they're used to kind of be uh, used to gather resources and draw cards, etc. down on the board. So in, in a typical turn, you've got three core actions. You can either place a worker, you can play a card, or you can prepare for the next season, which is which is effectively moving on to the next kind of you gather resources, you get extra critters you can play. It's kind of your next like end of phase um, cleanup. Um, so yeah, worker placement is is critical to the game. Um, the other interesting mechanic it's worth mentioning is the fact that there's no real like end. There's no real turn structure. It's kind of like it's quite free form. So when you start playing and when you finish playing, differs for each individual depending on how how you play out your your turns and your hand and your kind of critter placement. So someone can have a really long spring cycle, whereas someone else can have a very short spring cycle. Um, and it all depends on kind of how well you manage your hand and how you place your workers. Um, so yeah, that is, that's, that's Everdale in a nutshell, but yeah, keen to get your in thoughts a nutshell, on it. In a nutshell, but oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but let's start with as, as as obviously Jay's joined us and he I'm going to pick let's, uh, I'm going to um, pick him out because he's the one that loves right. war games more than anyone else. Gone, Jay. Start us off. How did really? you find Everdell? More than anyone else. Anyone? Well, anyone? Any, anyone else on the team? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just yeah. On that little note is um, with mentioning Everdell and Quacks, and I, I imagine I'm going to get steamrolled with sushi go at some point as well is these are the sort of like like you'd say twee as a new term that i've just heard today for the first time uh, that's the sort of games i wouldn't imagine myself playing but every time i have i've seriously enjoyed it so quacks was great everdell was great even though they're not up my street so to speak uh, i think i've just changed what i like and don't like about games now but yeah i really enjoyed it um the only i'll start with the bad points because then everything's positive after that. The only bad points were we're not taking the, the mick with uh, social distancing. So the the big tree element, the big 3D card tree that's built for the game is stunning. And you put little cards on it and things like that for extra missions. For Darren and myself down the other side of the table, it, it was quite hard to get eyes on those at times. It wasn't massive. It's just a tiny, minuscule gripe. And every now and then on the cards, there would be some very important uh, text in ultra fine print. <laughs> um, but you know it, it makes up for it with the phenomenal artwork and the really good wording when you can catch the words they are there's no room for interpretation which I love I hate interpretation in games it doesn't say my Tiger 2 can't fly you know just uh, doesn't matter but other than that the game was uh, really good uh, one of the mechanics I really enjoyed was if you can get a certain structure out. so I had a farm in my starting hand I was like ooh I've got a farm and then Adam explained that if you have the farm, you can play the husband or the wife creature for free. And I was like, I like getting stuff for free. This is my jam. Um, but I, so I played the husband for free and I felt like I'd won something already. And it was about five turns later or whatever before I got the wife involved and was like, come on, it's got to be in the deck somewhere. So I sort of uh, seriously focused myself in off my starting hand. Um, the tableau that you create for your village is 15 cards. 
Um, there are other cards that don't take up any space in the tableau, but yeah, I think I had about four spaces free at the end because I was too reluctant to put things down. I was really, I know I've played it once. I think I'd have a much more, uh, a deeper grasp of the game. Yeah, so there's 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 probably a couple of things that we just want to unpack there. So so the first one is is the mechanic, like you mentioned, that um, each construction that you build is is typically linked to a creature or a critter um, within the the meadow or the forest area that you can kind of that you that you accrue during the time. So the meadow is the term used for basically the um, wild card deck area that anyone can draw from and play cards from. Um, whereas you also have your hand of cards that are personal to your own, um, your own town or village that you can play. Now each, um, each construction. So let's say you build a courthouse that's linked to the judge. Um, so if you play the courthouse, then you can recruit the judge for free and you don't have to pay any resources for that. But if you do have the berries, you can kind of bring those critters in. If you just wanted the, the critter for that particular bonus, but it does. It is advantageous to play those kind of combinations throughout the game. There's certain ones that are really useful. For example, the dungeon and the ranger um, leads leads us on to the kind of mechanic that Jay, uh, the second mechanic Jay mentioned, which is the fact that you, you've got a limited space within your tableau. You can only play fifteen cards, but the dungeon and the ranger uh, for the for. Uh, <laughs> I, d I feel sorry for all the critters that get put in the dungeon, but the, the dungeon and the ranger let you let you pile cards so you can take critters that are in your in your tableau and put them into the dungeon, file them away. And we'll hear about Lee's uh, adventures in, in filing away the wrong critters from his uh, oh, tableau in, in, a, in a bit. But um, yeah, so it, it nice. lets you that there are certain cards within certain constructions or critters that let you kind of get things out of your tableau. If you play something too early, it lets you kind of cycle things out. So there are ways to clear things out, but you still do have to be quite on top of how you manage manage that kind of like the, the the things that you're putting in your tableau because you can run out of space by the the third cycle and that's where you really want to be getting your end game scoring going mm, yeah i think it's it, there's a lot to keep track of and that's not a bad thing i i really enjoy i, I quite enjoyed the the sort of tableau building going oh yeah if i do this it, like next turn i can do this and then in two turns time i can trigger this and i was Doing quite well with that, although, you know, in my defense, it was the end of a long, very long week for me. Um, and I screwed myself out of a, a nice, easy three-pointer, which I'm slightly annoyed about. But, you know, what can you say? Basically, I ended up putting... A, the, there are certain special objectives, I believe, that come out that are randomized between each game. Or, you know, for, before each game, sorry. And one of them... Well, they all require you to have a specific critter and or a specific location or a pair of, you know, two different critters or whatever. And I had one particular combination and then I was like, oh yeah, but if I do this and put him in the jail, I've then got room to put this other thing out and I fixated on that and completely forgot about the secret objective, which I think, you know, for, to further Jay's point, you know, where I was sat, because you put them up on the branches of the tree, they're not immediately on the game board part which so i kind of overlooked them initially and maybe that's why it wasn't forefront of my mind i don't know that's that's the excuse that's the story i'm going to stick to anyway when i made a balls up but um yeah i really like how how everything like you know you place the workers to get the resources to play the cards which go in your tableau which then score you the points i, I like that kind of combination of thinking you know you have i don't i never used to enjoy having to try and think too far ahead but actually there's a certain joy, there's something inside me just like, you know, having those cogs whirring just really, really scratches an itch that I like. So I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. So let's just unpack the kind of the, the worker placement aspect of it. So you mentioned they're obviously placing workers down to kind of get resources. So there's two different types of load. There's quite a few different places you can put your workers, but there are basic locations, uh, which are, which are common uh, and they're fixed on the game board you then have forest locations which are randomized at the start of the game you then have special events that you can claim that you can put your workers on um and then you also have like the i'm not sure the exact terminology but they're like global events um which is like if you get a certain type of building or uh, multiples of that type of building or card within your tableau then you can claim that event um 
how how did you both find so obviously there are limited spaces on the board as well some some zones are open and some zones are closed if they are closed then you can only put a single worker on that space if they are open then you can put down multiple workers and um, how did you how did you both find that did you did you find like there were um oh and the other thing to mention obviously is that um once someone's put their worker down on a space, you can also then put your worker down into that same space if it's closed. But because people are going through their turns, their seasons in a different order, that space that you might be after isn't freed up until someone else um, reclaims all their workers by preparing for season. Did you both find that okay? Were there were there times where you wanted to play down on something and the space just wasn't available? Yeah, I really enjoyed that part because if it was a traditional turn-based game where everyone finishes a phase and then you start the next phase, then whoever's going first has a massive advantage of getting a closed-off location. Um, but that wasn't ever apparent because we're all running at a different pace. I think your summer went on for ages, didn't Adam? You were doing all sorts in your summer. We were all on the third season. You were like, no, 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 just, just, just chilling. But I quite liked it. I also liked the fact that, as Lee was saying earlier, with the thinking ahead there's no massive one-shot combos like you can either play a card or place a worker you can't do two or three things in one turn that seriously sways the balance you're doing one thing now hoping that the other three players haven't done something that changes your plan in the meantime like darren was quite charitable i had the uh the post office which means i can get the uh the messenger pigeon for free uh, I was like, oh yeah, and the, and the messenger pigeon was in the meadow. So the meadow is the communal sort of wild card area. And Darren played a card where he could dispose of three cards from the meadow. And he's like, oh, do you want that wood? Do you want that pigeon? Do you, Jay? I was like, no, no, of course not, Darren. He just black him that he wouldn't throw it in the bin, and he didn't anyway. And I, and I got the pigeon in the end. Up, it's very nice of him. I he's never too used nice. the pigeon. I never used the he's, pigeon. It's actually a waste of space. It's got zero points. Um, <laughs> he's too nice, Darren. I'd, I'd have totally been that pigeon if it yeah. were me in that situation. <laughs> I see you want this pigeon, Jay. Gone. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a, there's a few elements of passive aggressive in the game. Like if you know somebody wants that uh, that three wood stack and it's closed off, you don't have to get it for yourself. You can just put a worker in there to stop them getting the wood. Um, but it's not like conflicting. It's just a little, oh, yeah. It, it is. It's a, it's a very passive, aggressive game. If you're aware that people are after certain things, like, oh, someone's got a farm over there. Wouldn't it be nice if they had a husband in? Oh, no, gone. <laughs> like when I discarded about four husbands in one shot that I had <laughs> yeah. in my hand that Darren was after, and it's like I ended up drawing them all randomly throughout the game. Yeah. And it was just, oh, yeah, discard X cards to get X victory points. Okay, husband, 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 see you later. Yeah, because <laughs> the look on Darren's face is pretty good. <laughs> I also like that nothing's given to you. You've got to earn it using your workers or your cards. So I had three of the, is it the spring symbol or the leaf symbol cards? So if Once you get three of any symbol, so there's green, red, blue, etc. So I had three green first. And I was like, oh, yes, that's earned me the uh, global event over there. And then I was reminded, no, you need to place a worker to claim the event. I was like, ah, I've just played my hand here and everyone else has got to go before. Uh... And I was hoping no one would have some sort of mad combo with three cards themselves where they could claim it. And luckily, I got it, but I was a bit, oh, nothing's for free in this game. Nothing. Yeah, that, that, that's entirely right. Like even those special events at the top, you're like, oh, okay, I can I, I've got the criteria, but I still have to place a worker to claim it. And you're like, oh, did I want that worker for something else? And you're almost trying to figure out, is it worth like that amount of points or is it worth putting your worker somewhere else to get points elsewhere? Because I think the the way in which I, like, I had to wait quite a while to claim one of my special events because once I claimed it, I had to choose three critters, up to three critters in my hand to place under it, but I didn't have any critters at that point. So I was almost having to wait around to draft cards to get enough critters to put under this card to score six points. Um, and you're always having to think about, I think you had the same thing, Jay, where uh, the special event you claimed, you drew five cards and you could, they could be stellar cards, right? But for each one that you don't take into your hand, you can put under it and it scores points. Yeah, I, I think in hindsight, so if you, if you add all the cards up, so there's five cards, that's five points. Then you look at the scores on the cards, they could be you know, eight, nine, 10 points combined if you can play them. 
uh, I didn't really see past that part. And I was like, oh, four points. Yes, go on then. And because uh, my plan was there's a card called the King who gives you more points for like any special missions you've done or global missions. Um, so I was like, yeah, I need to ramp this up. But in hindsight, maybe the cards would have been worth keeping to actually try and play. It's risk reward, right? That's the thing. You, you never yeah. really know until the till the end game scoring. But yeah, I was surprised that's... that I'd done as well as I had. I thought Darren had done really well, but he didn't actually have much in the missions because he was rich all the way through the game. He was resource rich. Yeah, I noticed that actually. I looked over at him and he had a big old stockpile of stuff and I was like, he's not doing a lot with that. I was trying to work out. I was trying to sort of subtly ask, you know, is there a bonus? Do you get a bonus for having like, you know, 10 wood in your hand or something at the end of the game? Like, Was he going for something that I didn't know about? But no, I think he... he I think I don't know if he'd taken sort of the wrong approach or whether he was waiting for a big turn, which then didn't happen. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it could at the end have been of the that. game. He was the richest man in the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was that was another one of his problems. I think he um, he plays. There were a couple of characters called the Undertaker and the well, Undertaker, and he's linked to the construction, the cemetery, and I think he ended also up, linked to the WWE, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. I think he's retired. It's the Everdale Slam. (laughs) It's a coffin um, match. But I I think the challenge he had was the the cemetery's got a pretty powerful ability, but it's a one shot. Like you have to, you basically kill one of your workers to to get the the ability. Um, And he ends up burying or killing two of his workers to get like play these two cards cheaply. But I think it, it kind of like hampered him in the end game. Um, I think it's, why it's, it's did a maximum he need that though? He had so many, but he had so many resources. Why did he? <laughs> I don't know. It, we'll never know because he's not here to defend himself. Sadly, maybe yeah. he just fancied killing a couple of cardinals and just yeah. burying them. <laughs> he just wanted death think, in the game. It goes to show though, because I started. If you look at the cards I finished with, they were all quite poorly pointed. Like I, I, well, the sort of theme I got was the green cards were maybe one or two points with very minimal bonuses, but they were cheap to build. The blue cards were like the university theater, things like that. Well, theater might be purple. I don't know, but they were more yeah, expensive, but the bonuses you guys got were just insane. Like at one point Lee was like, Oh, I'll play a quitter. I'll get some free berries. I'll get a draw another card and then I'll get this. And I'm like, ah, how are you getting all this? And there was a full on chain like combo going on there which I quite enjoyed setting up and it's like yeah. oh yeah I'll just do this and get all of these things for free but randomly it's not luck though if that was like a normal let's say card based game like I don't know Keyforge etc it's quite a lot of luck you've actually had to pay to get those cards on the table mm. doing their thing it's like I say nothing's free nothing's really too luck based it's all a lot of pre-planning yeah you have to you have to spend time setting up these things before it comes off you can't just like pray that you draw into it you've had to spend time and resources to get that there yeah Definitely. i think i was into my summer season before i even had a blue card and i was like, oh these are actually really good but i spent everything on my green cards as i couldn't afford to build the blue structure i was like oh it'd be so good right now <laughs> i mean one of the things that i picked up because i played it a couple of times now um this is the first time i've played it four player it definitely feels like you're competing over um, a reduced pool of um, constructions and critters because everyone's going after different things. If you're playing two-player, um, you still have the same meadow size, so you're effectively, um, and you still got the same hand size. So you're really kind of like if someone's if your if your opponent's going for let's say a dungeon or a farm, you can pretty much go, ah, oh, okay, I won't even bother going for that. I'll go for this other thing, knowing that they're not going to be collecting it. But if four people are doing that then you're kind of burning through lots and you are still having to compete over certain combos that you're looking for of construction and critter. Um, and I think like Darren found that obviously with the the workers, uh, sorry, the the farms and the husbands, they they were drawn up by other people, Lee. <laughs> All four of them. Why do you need that many husbands, Lee? <laughs> I had a full-on harem of husbands going on yeah. in my hand, I'll tell you. Um, um, so what would you say then, Adam? You know, I mean, admittedly, you've only played Everdell four-player once now, I guess. Which would you say you prefer? Not not which is better, per se, but which which do you prefer? Which do you think you'll get more mileage out of? Uh, in terms of a two or four-player, you mean? Mm. Um, I don't know, really. Um, the, the challenge I've got with four-player, um, and I think Jay kind of alluded to this at the start, 
is that there's so much on the table that <laughs> it can be a bit of a pain to get everything set up. And if you've if you've got drinks on the table and a couple of snack bowls and things like that, unless you've got a really big table for it, it can feel quite cramped <laughs> as soon as you've got your kind of like 15 cards down. Whereas you get a bit more room to maneuver with two players. Now, interestingly, if we go by Board Game Geek, their record of Board Game Geek, their recommendation is three players. So it plays best mm. at three which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I enjoyed it at four player um, and I would play it again at four player. Um, but it is, I think just, just as there's, there's so much on the table, you need a pretty big space to actually play it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think I could choose one over the other. I, I like the fact in the four player, it felt a bit more kind of competing um, for certain criticism constructions. I feel like it's less, it can feel a bit less passive aggressive like, to, to Jay's point if you're playing it two player because you're going after kind of separate things and it feels less competitive that, that down that kind of avenue. But um, More of a race than a battle. Yeah. So that's interesting, actually. Yeah. So the the other thing to mention is some of the locations um, on the forest um, cards that you put down. So the random locations that you can place your workers. Some of those are locked off if you're playing as two player. So like you can only play one space rather than the two spaces. So because we had four players, it kind of opens up some additional slots. Um, oh, that's cool. Which wasn't too bad, I didn't think. Anyway, it's good they thought about that. One of the interesting spaces on the board as well that um, comes into play in autumn is you can place workers down um, on this space at the bottom, which I think is called the journey or something. But essentially you can um, discard up to uh, up to five cards in your hand and claim that corresponding amount of points. I entered autumn fairly late compared to everyone else but i noticed that no one played for that earlier on i think people were looking to kind of build up their hand and one of the things i noticed is just like oh i might as well just grab the points and get shed my hand get the points and i'll just figure out what i do after that um did you did you both think about that space or was it that you were just planning so much else in your turns that you didn't kind of really consider it or I I was gonna go for it. I had a, a like I said, I had all those husbands. Um, in the end, I was I was able to shed card. I was able to get the same effect out of a different card anyway. So I didn't go for that spot on the board. Um, thinking about it now, if I had gone for it, it would have locked someone else out and actually probably would have gained me a bigger point swing in the long run. But yeah, I had considered it, but yeah, just didn't because I now I think about it. Yeah, I should have done, but no, I went for the same effect on a different card which ultimately probably put me down in joint third with Jay rather than in second. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had an eye on it because my plan was, like I say, I was very reluctant to fill my tableau up. Then all of a sudden autumn's out and I've got seven cards in my tableau out of 15. And I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm just throwing points away here. Even if it's one point per space, I really should do something about this. So I was working through just getting cards on the table, really. And I had my eye on the five-pointer and the plan was use my ridiculous pigeon and hadn't used yet. So what that does... <laughs> ridiculous pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> what happens there is you give an opponent two cards and you can draw up to your maximum hand size of eight. So the plan was get down to get as many cards on the table as I can, have two crap ones left over, palm them off onto someone else, draw eight cards, and then in the next turn use five of those cards to cash in on the, uh, the the journey. So I think I cashed in on, I'm not sure if it was third or fourth place, might have been third, I think, but it wasn't the five I wanted uh, because I was just so focused on getting cards on the table. I could have done it at any point, but I was so, yeah, I, was, I felt like I was racing against the clock to get cards down because I was so late into autumn. I was like, what have I done here? <laughs> yeah, so that's so that's a that's another interesting mechanic to to bring up. So some constructions um, of a particular color, I think it's the red constructions, have open slots on them. So these are kind of constructions you put into your tableau, and you can also place workers on them. Some of them are open, 
which means that um, other people can place their workers on them to gain advantages. I think this is one of those that uh, when you first put it down in your zone, Jade, because I had so few cards in my hand, I was like, and they were rubbish. <laughs> I was like, I'm just yeah. gonna, I'm just, I'm just gonna use that slot. And I think, unfortunately for you, I sat in that slot for probably too long, <laughs> and I think you wanted to use it a couple of points. No. 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 The, the issue with it was I only put it out because um, I thought you it was just a good way of pigeon. refreshing your hand. No, it's a good way of refreshing your hand to eight cards, like you say. Um, but I didn't. I didn't really feel like I was ever skint on cards. Yeah. How did you both feel about the kind of card-based mechanic in terms of having a max hand size of eight and managing that? in terms of discard and then draw? Did you ever feel like you were kind of wanting to draw more, but you had things in your hand that you couldn't get rid of? Not so much for me, no. I mean, I I, I like that kind of, oh, do I risk shedding these cards now or using these cards now with the hope of gaining something better later? Or do I work out what combination I've got here and what I need to get that off? I quite like that. So I didn't really find like any real issue with it per se. I, you know, like I said, I, I waited and maybe made a mistake playing a certain card to, you know, shared five for five VPs, but that, you know, that's on me. You know, I, I, I fully triggered that. I was in control of that situation. So. Yeah. I felt the hand size was fine. I mean, I was, I felt a bit behind all the time because I, I just couldn't, my hand was getting no combos at all. Started with a farm and a husband and didn't come to fruition until autumn when I finally got one of the wife cards. Um, yeah, all the ones I was getting were really cack ones, like ruins. I got ruins, which are trash is one of your constructions, but you get resources equal to its cost. And I was like, oh, well, I need resources now. This place isn't really pulling its weight. I will just trash it. Um, but then that get that looks linked to a creature, the peddler. So he's only worth one point, and when you draw him, you can swap two of resources for any other kind of resource. Absolutely useless skill. Um, at the time, it was. I was going to say that sounds amazing. Like, I could have done with that so many times. It, it is. It is useful, it. but it's a. I think he's a green, so you can only trigger it when yeah. he appears, and then also mm. once in the season, um, in mm. spring or autumn. Oh yeah, yeah, that's like a sort of cleanup phase, isn't it, where you trigger them again. Yeah, I think I was yeah. playing more reactively than anyone else in the sense that I didn't have real anything to push for. Until I got the king card, I didn't really feel like I had anything in my hand. I think I had one blue card the whole game. The rest were Wanderers or Green and in the post office. Um, <laughs> I think I got the theatre at the end, actually, that's purple. By the way, I just felt like I had really poor cards and I should have offloaded them sooner because you can just trade two cards for a resource on one of the slots on the uh, meadow. Uh, maybe I should have done that. Just sort of try to mulligan. Uh, but I didn't, obviously I didn't know the game as well as I do now. And uh, yeah, felt like I was on the back foot for most of it. But I did all right on points. <laughs> yeah, you did. You were, you were third. Oh yeah, we were joint second, weren't we? Not joint third. Yeah. Because Darren was third, essentially. Yeah. That was weird because I, I, he had a full tableau. All the, he was resource rich for the whole game. But then you and I both got the special events. Mm. Yeah, I went when I saw like how relatively easy that was. I was like, I'm just going to go for those. So I got quite a few. I showed you. I, I had to tell you, you had one of them. Hey, Lee, you've got the red <laughs> one, mate. <laughs> like I say, it was a long week, so I wasn't I wasn't yeah. fully awake and just like, oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah, part of me was up for that because like, I only had to put one more card down. If you hadn't noticed, I'd be like, well, I can get that one as well. Mm. And I was like, nah, can't do that. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Pay it forward from Darren's pigeon. <laughs> so I guess one of the things, although we talked a lot about mechanics, I guess one of the things I'd like to call out uh, that I loved about the game and why it ended up on my shopping list was just the artwork um, and how phenomenal every single card is like it, it just feels like it tells a story um the kind of the the joint combination of the construction and the critter that goes along with it and i just found myself kind of just drawn into the artwork um how did you guys like did you guys enjoy the artwork what did you think of it yeah i think artwork and component quality was one of the things i was going to bring up i was really really impressed by it, it looks it certainly looks very impressive especially like towards the end game once you know everyone's got their tableaus out 
And, you know, some people might have a stockpile of resources, you know, all of the components are really nice, but everything just ties together nicely. Like they don't feel like the artwork on the cards and, and the text used and such feels like it matches what you see on the board. You see some games where this always almost like they had two different designers. One designed the board and the components and the other one designed all the cards. Whereas this felt very, very unified, which was nice. And shouldn't forget to mention the uh, the Evertree that acts as like a, almost like a deck holder. It is indeed very spectacular. Um, bit of a pain to build, but yeah, it looks great. Yeah, totally agree on the artwork front. Like, uh, it's never something I really paid attention to, but it's so paramount now is artwork and games. Like when I got Mysterium, I was like, wow, this is another level because the game plays off of his artwork rather than actually just having good artwork. And then I've got the Dune um, sort of uh, area control game. And it's, the artwork doesn't feel like it gels with the Dune universe. It's almost a bit, not cartoony, but cartoony. But is is like, you know, slight aside here, is Dune like a bit less unified at present because it's had, you know, books that have been around for 50 yeah, odd years true. and it's had one film which, you know, was kind of critically derided and is only now about to get its own new look, you know, and, yeah, and a maybe. more canon style, as it were. Maybe yeah, that's why. Maybe because I just played Twilight Imperium and I really like the art style of Twilight Imperium. I'm like, oh, that'd be nice to have on Dune. Get the Dune game. Oh, hang on. What's this? Uh, no. Uh, the artwork in Everdell was fantastic. Really good. It does feel like it could just be a, a, like a animated village brought to life in a mm. board game. Yeah, one of the things that I... like, You know, it, it's got such beautiful artwork but you often miss a lot of the details within it and one of the things i actually picked up in this latest playthrough was the fact that all of the constructions have the critter that's linked to it in the artwork somewhere whether it's like a different perspective in the background or doing something so you can kind of see the link through it's not just like here's the construction and some random critter in the construction it is the thing that's, oh, that's linked good. to it um mm. it's, it's not entirely you know it's not there right in forefront like oh this is the and i think it's done on purpose just to make sure that like you can tell when looking across this is a construction this is a critter but they're definitely in the artwork somewhere for example if you look at the schoolhouse uh, the teacher sat on a branch around the back of the tree and then if you look at the teacher artwork they just change the perspective and you're like looking at the teacher with the with the building in the background that's really clever um, so it's really really well done um and even just like the the kind of the colors and everything flowing through from the construction to the the critter i think works really really well um so in terms of in terms of everdell um it was obviously a very very popular kickstarter when it came out believe it or not. Oh, was it a Kickstarter? Was it, it? Was, I wasn't aware of that. It was a Kickstarter when it came out. Lots oh. of um, different components floating around. They did some, um, they did like premium um, critter kind of components that you could get through the Kickstarter. I think they also what, did like an did MDF. Like? Um, I, I think they were just different types of critter. Like you would get unique to the Kickstarter. Um, oh, there okay. no, there's definitely not enough badges. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they did that on the Kickstarter. I don't know. Um, they also did like an MDF Evertree, so you could get one that's not made of card, made of MDF <laughs> if you really wanted to. Um, but they also did a bunch of extra expansions for it, right? So Everdell has been pretty popular and it's come out with uh, several expansions. So we've got Spirebrook, Snape, Pearlbrook, Spirecrest, Belfair, and I think there's one other as well. Can't remember. There's, there are several expansions for it. But one of the things that I call out is... In, in particular because i've played the core game so many times now is that i just don't feel like it needs any expansions i, I picked up one of the expansions just because our dog ate through the one of the critters and i got a bit <laughs> angst about that so i had to buy some extra critters and, and and belfair had that but i just don't feel myself drawn into needing an expansion for it because i feel like it's such a great contained game that you could play it 10 times over and there's still so much variety in it but well, it'd be interesting to hear your kind of takes on that. It's interesting you mentioned that because I'm I'm finding expansions now. I do like a good expansion, but I'm finding them less and less necessary. Like, you know, we played, I, I, we've actually neglected to mention, I realised we played Tangarden fairly recently, didn't use your expansions from that. We played Wingspan recently and that was just the base game. And there's enough in that game that you don't need an expansion. I'm surprised that there are expansions for it. But um, 
yeah, in terms of Everdale, I think it felt like a, a whole game right there. It didn't feel like anything had been chopped out intentionally and left to form an expansion, which I th- I, you don't see that very often these days, at least from my experience, other than maybe Fantasy Flight used to. And they, they released a statement ooh, a year or so ago now where they said, you know, we're going to look at games less of a vehicle for expansions and growing revenue that way and we'll go for more complete experiences and only release an expansion once in a blue moon when we deem it necessary not I think Imperial Assault really kind of exacerbated it's like oh look here's, here's your base game and you know you've got all these villains in it but you don't get the figure for the villain unless you buy the expansion and then it's like oh and here's the next campaign box and we'll do the same again it's that kind of thing was very very it was quite obvious that they were doing it that way and they, they they've gone They've sort of changed a bit now, and they're doing it less. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think Everdale needs an expansion per se. It'd be interesting to try. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it. There was no point where I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could do this? Because I think there was enough going on in that game already. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, expansions for me are only like two kinds of expansion. If you're playing something that's story driven, so for Deep Madness, I've got like five giant boxes that take up most of my house. But I know for a fact that the group I play Deep Madness with, that is more scenarios, more story-driven stuff, new enemies, new bosses. Uh, mechanically, not much changes. It's just more of the same, more of a DLC than a expansion, really. Um, I like ones like that. And anything that increases the player count, so from a four to a six, let's say, because um, I've got Who Goes There uh, off a Kickstarter recently. Uh, we'll play that at some point in the next year, I imagine. Uh, but that's four players initially. And I've got the expansion to take it to six just in case. Um, just options, isn't it, really? Because then if you get that fifth player or sixth player, you don't mm. feel like you have to leave anyone out. It's more inclusive. But yeah, I've played Catan before. Catan's not a bad game. I think it's aged differently. It's better than Monopoly for a fact. So, um, so I played Catan <laughs> with John and Kathy, and uh, it was quite good. I enjoyed it. Then there was like the pirate add-on, the knights add-on, the fortress add-on, and it was like this doesn't have to happen. It's just more stuff to do and more, well, bollocks really. Um, <laughs> and the game itself was fine, did not require any of the above. Yeah. And I definitely found that with Everdell. I feel like looking through the expansions, it's like more zones to do, place your workers, more events to claim, you know, it's more tokens to manage, but actually you find yourself, as you said, Lee, there's so much going on anyway. Like, why do you need more stuff to place your workers on it? Surely it just dilutes the experience and it's, it almost feels so complete um, as a set core game, which is re- really, really nice. So I guess in, in terms of kind of summarising this, uh, I'd love to get your take on kind of, say, if we look at uh, Board Game Geek, Everdale currently ranks 28 overall in, in the tables. Um, it's got a score of 8.1 out of 10. And its its weight in in terms of complexity is two point eight one out of five. Do you think that's deserved? Would you place it higher or lower than what they've maybe given it a rating um, of eight point one? Um, and do you think you would agree with the weight there? Two point eight one out of five. Lee, do you want to go first? Um. So let's let's start with the overall rating of what was it twenty eighth and eight point one out yeah. of ten. Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't say my knowledge of the whole board game arena, as it were, is is I couldn't I couldn't quantify that. I'm not qualified to say yeah, it's it should be the twenty eighth best game. I think it's pretty good. You know, having played it the once, I I'm quite looking forward to playing it again. It's not one that I would, you know, I've played some games and I've gone, oh, you know, I'll play it again, but I'm not bothered. Whereas this one, actually, I quite look forward to playing again because I, I liked how it played. Um. Eight out of ten, so subjective. I, I don't like giving ratings to things. But I'm going to force you to, to say, oh, should it you... be higher, lower, or are you happy with that? I'd say I'm happy with that. You know, after multiple plays, my opinion may change and it may yep. go up or down. But yeah, eight, eight out of ten, you know, it's one that I'm looking forward to playing again. And Jay, what, what about you for, for the kind of score? Yay, nay, or happy with that? Um, yeah, I'm happy where it is. Um, to be honest, I really, really enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Because uh, as I say, it's not my Straza. Um Yeah, I think it was well-deserving of the score. It's 
fun and it's not complex really i mean i'm actually quite waiting to play it again because now i know the game i feel like i'd have a bit of a bit of a peek i've had a peek behind the curtain now now i can go right and i can get a bit more analytical and uh play it to hopefully some sort of strength but um yeah it was a really good game i don't, I don't think see why it would be any lower uh, i'd compare it to mysterium in that it's uh quite immersive with the artwork and even for non-gamers, you're not going to blow their minds with mechanics. Yeah, what was the complexity rating again? Two yeah, point- so the 2.81 out of 5. So just just above mid-complexity. I'd say that's about right. I was Because I remember when we were... Well, I'd read a few like how-to-play guides and when you were explaining it, I was like, oh, there's a lot going on here for a Friday night after a stressful <laughs> week. But like it, 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 yeah, it's it's got some complexity to it, but it's not... It's not the worst. It's not the most complex game I've ever played. You know, there's there's more to keep track of in something like Twilight Imperium than there is in Everdale. Mm. That's not a you know that's not a good or bad quality. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. Two point eight one sounds about right. Like, you know, if you really want to break it down, I'd <laughs> yeah. say yeah, three out of five. It's sort of middle of the road kind of complexity. It's not as simple as say Junk Art, but it's not as complicated as what I imagine something like Brass Birmingham to be, which. Mm. You know, it just looks like an Excel spreadsheet to me. It just doesn't interest me in the slightest. Yeah, I guess for me, it's the simplicity is the actions. You can only do what you can do. Three actions, off you go. But I, I guess the complexity comes from what and where you can do those actions. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah. I guess it deserves that score. I, I mean, to, to build on something that you mentioned just a, uh, just a minute ago there, Jay, you said, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're looking forward. Now you've had a peek behind the curtain. Now you're looking forward to the next play. And that's, that's certainly the feedback I've had from, from multiple players of Everdell. It's one of those that it's really hard to describe how to play the game until you've played the game. Um, you can, you can tell people the mechanics of the game but to really understand how to play the game and how the end, end game scoring works, you kind of need the playthrough. And then people go, okay, that wasn't too complex. I kind of get what I need to do now. Get the combos. Let's have another go at it. And that's definitely the feedback I've had from, from other people, which is great to hear because it's kind of that you're excited enough to play with the mechanics and the kind of the, the tableau building and the critters and everything. Um, at, and yeah, I, I guess it's that kind of wanting to better your score. Now I know how it's played. How can I get a better score? What can I do to improve what I scored on the first game? I also think the big sell for maybe less competitive gamers is no one's trying to do you over. Like I play Rising Sun and stuff with you, Darren, and uh, and you guys can absolutely pants down anybody else who's like a casual gamer at it. And it's like, oh, well, I'm glad I came. Um, even then, it's not been massively out of whack with the scoring, but some people can run away with it when you're getting lapped by somebody on the scoreboard or something like that. Um, whereas Quacks of Quedlinburg has little rats, so there's an offset. If you're doing really bad, you actually get a bit of a catch-up mechanic. Whereas I found with Everdell that I didn't feel like anyone was getting away with it. Like visually, it looked like Darren was tearing away with his uh It did. You know, e- even looking at mm. it, I was like, oh my God, Darren's going to win this. He's got some mega combo going on. <laughs> yeah, and then there was... Lee with his um, absolute mountain of VPs he was cashing off his yeah. chapel and I was like crikey he's, he's all over this um, so yeah I don't but then again if someone does run away with it I don't think it's luck based if there's no dice mechanics there's no real yeah the only real luck is from the is from the draw, card draw I guess if you don't yeah. draw yeah. the right things or they don't end up in the meadow then you it's not an ind- it's not that anyone's directly screwing you but you, you yeah, that, that mm. could potentially be a bit like, oh, this is not working out for me. Um, you know, I could definitely do better than this if I had a better hand. Uh, there is mechanics, though, to, to assuage that. Mm. I think sometimes it's just a case of being able to put a pin in that thing that you're trying to go and go for something else. You've got enough of a tableau size that you can be like, okay, mm. I'm just not getting this thing I'm really chasing. Stop chasing it. It will come up eventually. Let me refocus on something else that's in the tableau. Um but I yeah, think that worked in my favour because I didn't have much of a focus initially. I was like, I don't know, I can't. Do, I, I, my starting hand was awful, but I was able to cycle it out quite quickly. See, I was and, the opposite. I had a, a fairly crap hand. The best card I had was the Beaver, but to get the to, he's like four berries. And that's quite expensive, I think. So to get him on the table, I needed the uh, he needed the Crane, 
and the crane costs one pebble and it was in the uh, meadow and I was like yeah I've got my pebble next turn I'm getting that crane Darren I'm going to buy the- I was Adam actually I'm going to buy this crane it was <laughs> I I think I did, yeah. I I did buy a crane quite early on. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to blame Lee for that one. I, th- I think it was. Yeah, I think it was Lee. Actually, yeah. it, it was one too. of the first ones I played. Yeah, and I was fuming so that was a four berries I could have saved myself there. So I was like, there must be another one. I'll hold on to this beaver for dear life now. So I sort of shot myself in the foot by. I didn't have anything to focus on, so I just invented it. There's maybe only like one kind of instance where you can directly screw someone is with the fool, isn't it? Where you play it in someone else's tableau that's about the most direct bit of conflict and it's not the worst thing because you can deal with it it's it's a minus two point card so you'll lose two vps at the end of the game if you still got him but there's quite a few mechanics to get rid of critters in your city so yeah stick him in the dungeon or you know yeah. get, send him to university and and get rid of him that <laughs> way or something educate the fool yeah <laughs> educate I quite the like fool. That. it's good just it, it just takes that little edge off if someone is running away as well yeah, I got screwed by the. I literally got blue shelled into second place, though. I think. I don't, well, actually, no, to be fair, your victory point total was pretty high, Adam. But, like, yeah, I got blue shelled by Darren, who was in last place, by being given this fool, which pulled my cook point we, total down. And, and, and this maybe is, is one thing in the game that I, I still. I don't see, see a clear winner coming up to the end game until you total everything no. up. I honestly, because I'm not paying attention, I can see what Darren's got going on, and it looked like he had a great tableau. I wasn't really paying too much attention, but I thought he had it um, mm. because of all the high point buildings he had. And I think he was just missing a couple of the key combos to give him some extra points. And he maybe missed out on some of the kind of extra bits to get victory points in the game. Um, but looking across, because everything scored at the end and there's so many different bits that are scored, I, I like that everyone still feels like they're in a running towards the end. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Not knowing the score until the end is pretty good. Like I was able to build a bit of it, like Jay said, a, a bit of a victory point engine going on almost with the way, like, you know, playing certain cards would trigger a bunch of things in my in my city, which was quite good and quite quite nice to do. But yeah, it meant that I was like, Yeah, I've I've got a shot here. You know, I don't know I don't know what my running total is at this point, but I think, you know, I don't I feel like I'm in with a shot. Yeah, I think it's so, yeah. my it came down to autumn for me. I had a pretty crap um, tableau uh, but I managed to get the king card which made all my events more uh, more victory points and then I got the I think it's the theatre that gives all your unique creatures extra points yeah and then I just threw loads of really bad unique creatures down um, yeah <laughs> like what was it, the undertaker I think I had at some point oh, I don't know where it was by the way um, those things at the end that was my last two cards I played even just dragged me out of the running. I think it was something like it must be close to like 10, 11 points just came off that little combo. Pretty good. Pretty good. So in, in terms of like, in, in order to wrap up this segment, I'm going to ask you both to describe your experience of Everdell in one sentence. If someone was going to ask you how your experience went, how would you describe it to them in one sentence? And I'm going to ask Lee to go first. Oh, he, you looks so, he looks really this shocked. This is like one of those. It's like one of those interview away. questions. It's like, like an icebreaker. Yeah, Where do you see yourself in five <laughs> years? I don't fucking know. Alive, hopefully. Um, it could be comical. Right, okay. go, go for it. Describe your experience of Everdale in one sentence. It was a fun. Uh, not maths problem. That's bad. It's not maths problem. But you know, what I mean, it was like a fun problem solving exercise, I guess. Um, you know, how can I best with with the things I've been given here? How can I best earn some points? And you know, or what's the what's the steps needed to get those points later in the game? See, I thought you would have gone for if it wasn't down for that damn postal pigeon. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, yeah. Also, I fucked myself with a pigeon. (laughs) That's what I want to hear. You just explained risk management there, Lee. (laughs) Go on, Jay. What have you got for us? One sentence. Um, Yeah, don't be afraid to put a pin in something and tax yourself on hope. (laughs) That's evident. (laughs) <laughs> That's Everdell. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So that was episode 34, all wrapped up in a neat little bow there, Adam. Um, 
I guess we should say here uh, thank you very much for listening um, if you like what you've heard and this is your first time with us don't forget you can subscribe to us on Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher Anchor SoundCloud which is, which is our home uh, if you just search for The Average Gamers and look for the Retro 80 style logo with the pink writing uh, you can also head to podfollow.com forward slash average gamers and you can find us on there as well if that makes things easier where else can we be found Adam? Well Lee you can find us on all of the available socials so we are on Instagram at the average gamers we are linktree so however you do this so linktr.ee forward slash average gamers we are on Facebook uh, facebook facebook.com forward slash average gamers podcast we're also on Twitter at average underscore gamers so tweet us Uh, and if you fancy an old fashioned email that we never check well Lee checks in his spare time I check it it's fine we just don't get many emails (laughs) yeah Uh, we are average gamers pod at gmail.com every different permutation Lee could find available indeed yeah just just to keep people on their toes and make it really kind of hard to find us (laughs) yeah elusive good stuff well it just remains for me to thank my co-hosts adam and jay thanks guys no thank Thank you you. thank you and uh thanks for listening guys see you next time Bye. Bye bye